Hey there, Film Spotting listeners, Adam and Josh here. Thanks for checking out this bonus show preview. You're going to hear a couple of different things. First, some of our recent horror movie draft. We did that back in October around Halloween. And then part of our November bonus show when myself, Josh, and producer Sam shared our pitches for the next couple of film spotting marathons. Those will come in 2024. No bad time of year to talk horror, so even over Christmas. Monthly bonus shows, those are just one of the benefits of becoming a member of the film spotting family. Other perks, early and ad-free listening, Sam's weekly newsletter, also event discounts. Events like our January 13th year-end wrap party in Los Angeles. Cannot wait for that. You can find more information at filmspotting.net. More about becoming a member of the Film Spotting family is at filmspottingfamily.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy this preview. Okay, are we ready? Are we ready for me to make the first pick? Are we on the clock? Yeah, we're I've been on the, on the clock since this afternoon, I guess. Let's do it. Officially. Yeah. And this first pick will shock absolutely no one. Mm-hmm. I know, Josh, it would still be there at four if Mike and Sam didn't take it. It would be there for you to take, which would mean I know it would come back around to at least Sam and Mike again, because you're not using either of your first two picks on this film. Mm. But it's my obvious number one. I love it when I have my favorite horror film and the one that scares me the most also be the one I genuinely think is the best and the scariest. And I am going with the first overall pick with The Exorcist. Mm. I have Mm. to take it. Already penciled. I have to take it here. Of course, there are some other (laughs) options. I'm not going to name them now, but I am very happy taking The Exorcist one. And now I'll just wait my turn and see what's left when I pick next. Love it. It's this always is, nice to have a clear number one. And then get the first pick, and you're just sitting pretty from here it. on out. Yep. I feel good about it. And here's the thing I don't know. I truly don't know whether or not, and maybe you guys can tell me this before you make your picks, Sam or Mike. Mike, mm-hmm. you have the next pick. Would either of you have taken The Exorcist if I skipped it? No. It was I, in my top 10. Okay. 10? Whatever the math that works out is, but it wouldn't have been my pick. I was playing a little gamesmanship with this because I think that Josh sort of notoriously underappreciates this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so true. when I, when I DM'd him the three movies I would like him to stay away from, I didn't include the exorcist uh-huh. because I thought uh-huh. he would take it on his own. But for me, it, it would have been the number one pick for me as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah. I would have. Yep. That makes me feel good because it sounds like otherwise it would have been there at eight had I chose to wait for it. But there's no reason, and it would be insane, for it to get chosen eight. It has to be the pick. Number one overall, The Exorcist. Mike, you are on the clock. Before I give you that pick, I I do want to talk about something about that movie that is, I think, foundational to something I love about horror movies and might come up again as we talk about them, which is that one of the things I love about horror is how, as I have aged and evolved my allegiances and sympathies in horror have aged and evolved. When I was a kid, I identified with Reagan as this little girl being assaulted by these unseen forces. Now that I'm older and I'm a parent, I identify with Chris McNeil and the, the unbridled terror of not being able to protect your own child. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's true for me for so much horror. And it applies here with what I'm going to give you as my number one pick. Again, a movie that when I was a kid, I identified with the young person. And now that I'm older, I identify with the character of Jack Torrance. My pick in the first round is going to be Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Interesting. So comedies are okay. We can go with comedies. Good. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> we we can. We can. See, have you have you ever seen the trailer they cut that makes yes, yes, The I Shining have. look like uh, uh, you know a, a feel good '90s comedy? It's totally. it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, The Shining has everything I want in a movie. It's it's scary. It's a beautifully crafted film. You get one or the other sometimes in horror. You rarely get both. And Kubrick gives us both this, this movie where you get Jack and and Danny. And the thing that I love about this movie that doesn't get talked about enough is, and it only hit me kind of recently at the end of this film, when we see what Jack has been typing on this typewriter, right? Uh, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And you realize that he's been typing it since the beginning. Mm. When they walked in the door and what chills me about the movie is the realization that this was almost a foregone conclusion. This family was doomed from jump street (laughs) and, and that didn't dawn on me until a a lot of viewings, but man, Mm -hmm. even just kind of thinking about it now, it just, Ooh, it gets in my bones. And as a father thinking about just walking through the door of a place and already it's a foregone conclusion that I'm going to harm my family against my will is i don't know what could be more terrifying than that yeah Mm -hmm. to make the connection even clearer between the two films one of the things always struck me about the exorcist is not just chris mcneil's inability to protect her daughter but i think what's driving her is guilt and Mm -hmm. guilt is such a prominent part of the film Mm -hmm. with other characters as well and and the devil uses that against those characters and not only the guilt from it's a divorce situation. Is she providing the best home, the most stable home? And then now this is happening to her and she cannot do anything about it. And you watch The Shining as the three of us just did recently, Mike. And to your point, you can feel all sorts of different ways about Jack Torrance or uh-huh. or his character and how potentially flawed, let's say, he is as a man from the get-go. And, you know, Sam, we talked about this after the movie. One of the things that resonated with me back when we discussed it on the show resonated with me after this viewing is he did hurt his child once before. Mm -hmm. And he still feels not only the insecurity of never amounting to the writer that he's wanted to be, having to be a teacher, Mm. then failing as a husband and father and doing the thing that's really unimaginable, which is hurting your own child. And I believe that he I believe watching the film that he genuinely feels remorse for that Mm -hmm. probably did not actually mean he was too aggressive with him. It was wrong what he did, but as he explains it, I bet he didn't do it intentionally to hurt the kid. He still hurt him, but he didn't intend for it to be as hard as it was. And that guilt, that guilt is what's driving him. And so when he really snaps in the film, it's, it's when he's accused by his wife of, of Wendy. Yep. Yep. By Wendy, uh, by Wendy of hurting him. Yep. She's sure mm-hmm. he did it. And in this case, he actually didn't do it. And that's mm-hmm. really where a lot of the unraveling continues. So again, I'm not yep. saying like you should all feel like he's such a sympathetic character. I'm just saying mm-hmm. there are yep. layers to it. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like the guilt is what manifests in Room 237. 
his guilt because it's his guilt that is essentially responsible for whatever happened to Danny. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Danny wandered in there, and yeah, that that was the mo- that was the moment that that really I felt like Kubrick nails there, or that I really tuned into this time as many times as I've seen the film was that that's where the turn happens when he's been accused and cannot mm-hmm. defend himself. Yeah. yeah, and he's just like, well, well, then I'll just embrace embrace yeah. the devil. Now, yeah, now, Mike, have you seen? Um, I imagine you've had a chance to see The Shining at one point or other with a audience in a theater, like the three of us just did recently. I have, yeah, and it is a very different experience on the big screen than it is at home. Of course, Kubrick works so hard uh, to disorient you and to make you feel kind of queasy and uneasy in your seat, and I think that a crowded room feels that a little bit more than you just do at home in your couch mm. for sure. Um, I have a, a real goal in life. One of my, one of my bucket list things is I would love to put on a screening of the shining outdoors up in here in new England Ooh. on a cold winter day with hats and jackets <laughs> and, and sit down Ooh, and, and, and yeah. see the film outside with our, you know, your breath blowing and all yeah. that kind of stuff. That's, that that's a real, amazing. that's a goal of mine. <laughs> yes. Make it happen. It's You're funny, invited. I, I would have been so steamed that The Shining got taken, you know, just we, if we had recorded this before mm-hmm. our trip to Iowa City. Again, not that it is a bad film, right, but, yeah. but the film, I, I was left thinking that it was very uneven and filled <laughs> with flaws that I've never seen before. I was most taken away by how, how much heavy lifting the music is doing. Um, to create mm. tension in it. And it's wonderful. The music's wonderful. You're right. Technically, it's gorgeous. Um, Shelley Duvall's amazing. The kid's amazing. She it's is. still yeah. very, very spooky. Um, but it sort of dropped down on my list a little bit, I have to admit. Um, I almost sort of felt, I felt for King for the first time. I'm like, you know what? I'm not sure if Kubrick really did, even how you talked about the book, having caught up with it, Josh. Mm. I don't yeah. know if he was, and again, he was into something else, as you mentioned in your yeah, your they're entirely talk. different. You know, yeah. he was interested in this as a play playhouse, um, but was he really sincerely engaging with the material that King wrote? It, it doesn't seem like it, and I can imagine you know King not loving that. Now, this is interesting. Okay, so my pick. There's so many options. There's an obvious. There's a title I threw out that I'm like, is this a horror movie? Are we counting this mm. as a horror movie? And yep. it's. It feels so boring to me because we've done. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've done at least it is a boring, couple Sam, drafts. Don't choose it. It's so Sam. Uh, you never have boring picks. What are you doing? I know this is, but I, so uh, it's well, not the wrong pick. It's just not the right pick. <laughs> I know. I guess I'm going to come back around, but I'm gonna, because we revisited it. I have a I have a similarly strong pick that I saw even more recently. That is a masterpiece, and so I'm going to Psycho. Yeah. Um, which is mm, not, the film- <laughs> not the Van Zandt. Not the I should clarify. Yeah. You're right. Please, I really should please clarify. clarify. <laughs> I'm walking um, out otherwise. <laughs> this this movie, weirdly, I've seen, this is another movie I've seen, what, three, four times in my life. Um, and it was this most recent time we did for the 60th anniversary. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, recently, um, that everything kind of clicked the pleasures of it um you know perkins for the the true depraved eeriness of perkins performance um everything technically that that hitchcock is doing and the music my god talk about music yeah. doing heavy lifting but just employed 
so wonderfully. So I, w- I was I was really excited. I mean, in the first time, you know, within the last 10 years, I saw Psycho and and felt like it was an exciting exercise. And this time I just found so, so many infinite mm-hmm. pleasures to the point where, you know, it's a film I, I can't wait to revisit. I think and, it would have been my number two pick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, have, getting a chance to revisit it and, and really pay close attention to elements like the music, Sam, the Bernard Herrmann oh. score that you always knew was great, but like, yeah, how is this actually how it's working? Used, how it's I remember employed. like marking, yes. you know, like yes. those stabbing strings. Yes. When exactly are those used and realizing the pattern that Hitchcock yes. was employing. And yeah, with just such a work of genius that unfortunately I, I can't take anymore. And sorry, sorry, Mike, you can't grab that one either. So well, I would have stayed away. We didn't at the beginning define what the goal was for our team. Are we trying to put together mm. the scariest? Is it um, something that no, you, just want, to you, just want to, you just want to win the poll, Mike? You, you just, just want to win the, the poll. The, you just want to win the ultimate. The ultimate hollow. But but I I think you're right. You you want to come out of a horror movie draft with Hitchcock on your team if you can. And apologies to the birds and and frenzy. This is the pick. It's the pick. Oh yeah. Sometimes you just need. You don't always need flashy, Sam. Sometimes you just need that reliable, that that reliable player that gets you on base every single time, and that's psycho. It's it's, I. One of the things I like so much about this movie is that, of course, all the 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 craft that we talk about is that, I think, Psycho is a movie that dragged horror out of the gutter and convinced audiences and critics that horror movies could be serious art. And that's a debt of gratitude that I'm always willing to repay to Psycho. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen Amen to that. All right. So let's see here. I get two picks, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I do have a handy on Letterboxd top 10 horror films of all time list. And so I'm looking at what's gone already and I'm feeling pretty good because only one of my top 10 has been chosen. Uh, And it's one because I'm a man of honor, I wouldn't have chosen anyway, because I know it's on Mike's top three. So I really can go any direction here. Now, Mike, you are the wild card, because mm. I'm fairly certain that neither Sam or Adam would take my number one horror film of all time. We all know what that is. Yeah. You, I don't, I don't know. And I, you know what? I don't think you'd take it as your second pick. So I'm going to, I'm going to risk that and save that hopefully for later. I am going to grab. I do think this is one, Mike, you might take. I don't know that Adam would. Sam, I'm not sure where you're at on this. Every time I watch the Blair Witch Project, I am more impressed by the level of craft at work. And it is, this is not to disparage um, Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Myrick. I think I have that right. Um, Any of their further work, but um, for first-time filmmakers to employ sound and editing... Mm. And the use of off-screen space and all of these tricks and techniques of filmmaking that it you would think would take years to hone. It was almost like this cursed miracle that took place with the Blair Witch Project that it all came together. And then you add on that. Every time I revisit this, I forget how wonderful all three of those lead performances are. Again, from mm-hmm. relative novices. Yes. Um, and so I do have the Blair Witch Project as my second favorite horror film of all time. I'm going to take it here. I think its reputation has grown to at least be revered. Um, You know, maybe not that high, but close. And so I don't want to let it hang out there for at least someone like Mike 
to snag. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. And I'm sorry to everyone. And now here's some of November's bonus show when Josh, Sam, and I shared our pitches for next year's film spotting marathons. Okay, let's get to the the business at hand. Announcements out of the way, fun trivia stuff out of the way. Hopefully we'll have some more fun here, but we do have some actual business to get get down to, which is we have to decide or begin the process of deciding what our bonus content is going to be. Not our bonus content, our marathon content. Our lineups are going to be for 2024. This worked out really well last year. We came to the table, the three of us, with some different ideas We kicked them around. You guys gave us some feedback. You gave us some ideas. I remember we had so many. We I visited today to remind myself. We put up a web page with different poll questions, and we narrowed it down. And we ultimately came up with the Sight and Sound Blind Spots Marathon and the the African Cinema Marathon, which we felt great about and got a lot of wonderful feedback on as well. So let's let's try it again. Let's try to make that magic happen again. We're going to start it in similar fashion. We're going to kind of just go around, me, Sam, Josh, throw out a few ideas. I suppose I should ask before we go, Sam and Josh, how many did you come up with? I've got um, two. Okay. Yeah, I've got two. I've got, well, I, I, I slacked you earlier. I said I you had did. the one. I've got yeah, the one. He said, I don't even need to prepare. You've got the one. Which I, I'm guessing at least one of you will also have some variation on what I've got too. But then I've got, uh, well, two others. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I've got I've got three that would be my my top three for sure, and and maybe one or two others we can we can just throw into the hat. But I, I've got three for sure that I want to mention. Why don't we go ahead and start with you, Sam? Give us one of oh. your marathon ideas. You don't want to build up to the one. All right, that's fine. Well, uh, no, no, no. We'll start with your kidding. other ones. <laughs> no, start with kidding. your other ones then. All right, I'll start with my other ones. Yeah, uh, this is. I'm just going to put it out there, and you may have it already, Adam, but. This director has been on our list maybe since 2007, and I just felt like it might be time since we didn't do Classic Hollywood last year to do Weiler. Um, I'm also thinking about the 30s and 40s, too, just because, you know, we've got 50s madness. 2025 will be something special around our 20th anniversary, probably not 30s, 40s. But if we end up getting back to 30s, 40s madness, I'm like, it'd be fun to knock out some of those in a marathon. So, you know, Weiler, there's so many ways to go, but a 12-time Best Picture nominee uh, between 1937 and 66. Uh, we, we did see his Jezebel in the Betty Davis Marathon. We watched The Letter as part of the 40s Noir Marathon, but there's Doddsworth, which he was nominated for, Little Foxes, um, Mrs. Miniver, Best Years of Our Lives, a Best Picture winner. Miniver was a Best Picture winner. The Heiress comes up a lot um, in addition to Ben-Hur and Roman Holiday and Funny Girl, all sorts of stuff. He's done everything. So in a long time been on our list. In this case, I was going to ask Josh to go next, but unless he also has William Wyler, I can transition right out of your pick and say that William Wyler was in my top three suggestions as well. And part of it was driven by an email we got from Mark Maydell, a listener who wrote in, and we read an email from him during our Psycho podcast. He wrote, 
said thanks so much for responding to that. It was a thrill to hear Saul Bass get some credit for his excellent work on the film. Perhaps I can help convince you to finally take the plunge into a William Wyler marathon with some data from my own Wyler marathon of 24 films last year. Wow. So he, he's done the work, Mark has. And I know you've mentioned a few of these things, Sam, but these are the stats. The case for Wyler, beyond the fact, as you also noted, he's been on our list for years now at this point. Mark says, he holds the Academy Award records for most Best Picture Oscar nominations, 13, most Best Director Oscar nominations, 12. Thomas, I hope you're writing down some of this trivia. Most Actor-Actress Oscar-nominated performances, 36. Most Actor-Actress Oscar-winning performances, 14. And yet he's not a household name like Ford, Wilder, Capra, etc., mainly because many critics have denied Weiler auteur status by accusing him of lacking consistent themes or a signature style. But his real genius was in choosing exceptional projects and eliciting remarkable performances from his actors and for being, as Orson Welles called him, the great producer among directors. That is to say, the masterly selector of shots, the complete angler of the most gripping camera angles. That's in quotes. And in the sincerest form of flattery wells cribbed extensively from weiler for citizen kane just look at these four shots from the good fairy dodsworth and dead end and he did include the screen grabs in the email so a pretty compelling case for weiler and not only a compelling case but gives us the central thesis that we would have to explore in the marathon which is what's up with denying him auteur status should he be considered one what does that even mean i think I think Weiler, there's a really compelling case that thank you, Mark has made for William Weiler being a marathon topic. Yeah, I'm all on board with Weiler. I mean, I think I've probably seen maybe seven, eight, but his career is so vast that we could easily choose others that I haven't have always wanted to. So so I'd have to go through all the titles and kind of shake some of those out, but definitely would be up for this. Josh. All right. Um, yeah, I think I'll start with uh, a name that I know has been tossed out there at some point, and we've touched on this filmmaker, but uh, Ida Lupino. Uh, I think we looked at um, The Hitchhiker. That was part of our Overlooked Auteurs Marathon, I believe. She directed that one. And here's just a rare chance you know, to consider a filmmaker the work they've done both in front of and behind the camera. Um, It would be interesting just to kind of look at a whole career in its totality in that way. Uh, Even though we did The Hitchhiker, there is a lot of material still to cover. I don't think I've seen anything else she's been involved in. I could be wrong about that, Um, but I think The Hitchhiker is the only one. I wouldn't mind going back to, sort of to your point, Sam, about that period uh, in Hollywood history, going back to early to mid-century Hollywood. I think Barbara Stanwyck was probably the last time um, we spent time in that era. So that always appeals to me. And yeah, Lupino is just, you know, in modern terms, she's kind of like the original Greta Gerwig, right? Beginning um, in front of the camera as an actor and um, getting into more writing, producing, directing, and and then becoming a revered filmmaker uh, in her own right. On that end, maybe not as revered as she should be. I don't know. I'd like to discover that. Like, why is it, besides the obvious, you know, likely sexist reasons, why is it she is not included among the other filmmakers from that era when she clearly has this robust body of work? So so I'm just throwing that one in the mix again. Someday he'll come along 
the man I love And he'll be big and strong The man I love And when he comes my way Thanks for listening, everyone. To get monthly bonus shows and more, join the Film Spotting family at filmspottingfamily.com. He'll look at me and smile.